0: This is the Ironside Podcast number 35 with Tom Dinkelman and me, Brett Kane. Good evening, Tom. What's going on, buddy? Oh, man. Just glad to be here. And we have a returning guest, the one and only Ben Wilson. Ben, welcome back.
1: Thanks for having me, guys. Good to be back. Yeah, it's awesome to have you again, Ben. That was a lot of fun last time you were with us.
0: Yeah, that was back on episode 21. So to you listeners, if you haven't heard that, that episode, go ahead, go back episode 21 and uh, get a good introduction uh, to Ben. And Ben, so you're working on your podcast, How to Take Over the World, and the listenability and the, the re-listenability to your podcast is so high. How do you do that? because a lot of places, you know, it's just one and done, but uh, yours is something I can pick up
2: over and over again. Well, thanks, man. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I just know that, you know, I guess for me, I'm trying to follow my own curiosity. Like, uh, I know it's a little bit cliche to say, but um, I really am just kind of, researching and studying what i would be researching and studying anyway it's deeply interesting to me and i'm just glad other people find it interesting too
1: i'm waiting for the second half of walt disney when's that coming
2: well i mean depends how long this interview goes (laughs) it really is i'm on i'm on the cusp i'm I'm trying to get it out tomorrow
1: so are you uh, really
2: if not tomorrow then thursday it'll be this week for sure
1: yeah, it's been awesome to go and, and listen to everything. Um, you know, I, I think maybe one of the things that we maybe we want to talk about a little bit. I know you did a bunch of research about Putin, and it might be kind of an interesting take to see, to hear your uh, what you're seeing right now and what you think about the everything that's going on.
2: It's interesting. Um, I actually just had a conversation with uh, a friend of mine named Nikolai. Um, and his family um, is, uh, is partly Russian Jews. And we were t- talking about the situation and he goes, man, it's, it's crazy that you can have this whole situation where you just have one completely insane person who's off his rocker and is causing this huge global conflict. And he's like a really smart guy, this buddy of mine, like really, really smart. And so I said, do you is that what you actually think is happening do you, is that your interpretation of events and he goes no no it's not and uh i was just like oh why'd you say that then he's like i don't know actually just kind of like out of instinct that's just kind of the way everyone talks about it and um and so it's just funny to see um you know like obviously i don't i don't favor war in ukraine i wish this mm-hmm. wasn't happening i wish none of this was happening and the human cost is going to be awful and incredible Um, but this idea that this whole thing can uh be reduced down to the megalomania of a single man is is not accurate at all i think there's little to no evidence that he has gone crazy that he's insane that he's uh out of his senses like it's it's a complicated and difficult situation i definitely don't think that uh, everything that putin is doing is is either smart or, or good. Um, but I definitely don't think he's insane or crazy.
1: Okay. Yeah. It's hard to, it's actually hard to create an opinion about it. I mean, I think we spent a lot of time being, well, we've got got a lot of propaganda the last couple of years, uh, from every aspect. And so when you hear the point of view, you you really have to second guess what's out there, what's real and what's not.
2: Well, that's, with a lot of this stuff i see reports i mean i could show you three different twitter accounts that if you read through their tweets for a day you would think all right russia is on the verge of collapse ukraine is about to break through their lines and march into moscow and and and, uh you know assassinate putin and then three other accounts that you read them and you think okay ukraine is on the verge of falling putin himself will be uh reigning in the capital in kiev in uh In mere hours, you know, and I I have just taken the viewpoint that, Hey, you know what, I'll know what's going on in a couple weeks. And in the meantime, I'm just going to assume that I have no idea what's actually happening on the ground.
1: Yeah. I mean, you, you spent a lot of time, especially with your podcast going through and figuring out what's truth and what's not, I mean, I'm sure that you can find, uh, multiple different stories that conflict, even when you're doing that, so, I mean, how, how has that helped you apply that to just today's at media in general? I almost feel like the opposite is true, actually. That um,
2: understanding the amount of misinformation and how difficult it is to tease out what's actually happening right now like I'm alive right now and there's like evidence and there's like I know people who know people who know people who see things that are happening on the ground in Russia and Ukraine and I have no idea what's actually happening there that that, like that realization has like brought down my expectations of being able to figure out what actually killed Alexander the Great you know and you're trying to figure out like all these fourth-hand sources that were written 400 years after the fact and I just realized oh man I have no idea. I have no idea if he was assassinated or if uh, he died from malaria or whatever, um, and, uh, I, and I'll never know.
0: So why, why do you think that so, some people, and I would say a, a lot of people, maybe it's just instinctual um, or cultural to this need to have an opinion uh, one way or another on, on pretty much any issue?
2: I think, um, I think that's the the age that we live in. I also think it's really exciting. Like our lives are not that exciting. And now all of a sudden there's a real live war and you get to like, you know, you you see people make fun of like all the uh, Avengers, uh, uh, like ukraine mashups that are getting made on social media because they're cringe and they are just so cringe um but like that's the kind of thrill that it gives people it's the avengers but it's in real life and and i think that's the biggest explanation for it is it's exciting to people and so they want to have an opinion they want to take a side and they want to root for a team and um i understand that impulse but like these are human lives so i would caution everyone to just take a step back and calm down a little bit
1: and I think, too, I think Brett's even saying, not even with this in in, in general, but in general, you know, what is it about everybody feels like they have to be having an opinion, that everybody feels like they have to be right, rather than just sit back and listen?
2: Yeah. And, you know, we live in a supposedly democratic age. And so I think it's under the auspices that our opinions matter, that all of us need to figure this out and need to get to the bottom of it because my vote counts, and uh, you know uh, I, I'm a, a member of the body politic, and I elect representatives, and they determine policy. If you read any um, any Curtis Yarvin, uh, he, he's a really interesting guy. I don't agree with everything he has to say, but very very thought provoking guy, and he talks about the need for you know politically if we're going to improve the situation that we're in in the United States. You need to accept that you have no power, that your opinion means absolutely zero, nothing. Like my opinion, your opinion, they mean nothing when it comes to Ukraine and Russia. And that it sucks. It hurts bad to realize like, oh, I'm powerless and my opinion doesn't matter. But once you realize that, at least you have a clear-eyed view of the situation and you can start to say, okay, well, what needs to change in order for me to have power? Uh, what needs to change in order for me to feel like I have some level of control. Yeah,
0: that, that's interesting. Uh, one, one of the things that uh, we, we had a guy Owen Cyclops on the show. And one of the things that, that he said on, on the exit podcast was that, you know, he's, he's talked to people who, you know, believe the earth is flat, you know, people who believe the, you know, all sorts of conspiracy theories. And he said that the thing that angers people with a a conflicting viewpoint is not to have the opposite viewpoint it's to say i don't know you know like he'll be like i don't know if the earth's flat and then these people are like what do you mean you don't know you have to choose you have to have an opinion one way or the other um and so like you said about alexander the great i mean if there's anybody on earth who who i would take their word as gospel if you told me he was assassinated i'd be like yeah he was definitely assassinated or if you told me no he died of uh of you know malaria i'd be like totally died of malaria you know because i'm willing to accept your opinion. but the fact that you're like yeah i I really don't know i think that that's a level of humility and open-mindedness that a lot of people uh would like to claim but when it comes down to it don't don't demonstrate that. So, how do you, as an in extremely intelligent person, maintain an open mind and and uh, and humility?
2: Yeah, I first of all, I don't consider myself an extremely intelligent person. I consider myself, uh, I consider myself okay. I, like not dumb at best, um, and like sometimes I feel pretty dumb. But what, uh, how do I, how do I not have opinions? It is something that like you, you literally do have to train out of yourself a little bit. Like it's in our culture, it's the most natural thing to just have an opinion about everything. That's what people do. Um, And I think the first is just to open your eyes to the fact that like, I don't have to. (laughs) And like, in some ways um, it, it is, it can be fun to have opinions about things. And, and sometimes I do have opinions about things just because they're fun, especially when the stakes are low, like I'll take a really strong stance on Sasquatch because why not, you know, um, but, um, but it is, can be, it can also, on the flip side, be liberating when you don't know something to realize like, oh, I don't have to have an opinion, I, I saw a funny tweet uh, the other day of um, about the, you guys know the trolley problem in philosophy, a trolley's running yeah. down the tracks; it's going to run someone over. And there's all these different trolley problems. If you flip the switch and have it run over someone else. And, uh, someone basically just said like, uh, why would you let a philosopher do that to you? You don't have to answer a stupid question. You don't have to kill anyone. I'm not letting the philosopher stress me out like that. <laughs> and it is like liberating to be like, <laughs> yeah, no, I don't have to answer that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I, I think there's a lot of value in, I don't know. I, I, I honestly believe that the more that you feel like you know, the less you are open to to learn. Uh, I mean, even Dell Carnegie said that one of the best things you can do when you're trying to uh, when you're trying to have a relationship with somebody is to be able to say, "I could be wrong." You know, here's my opinion. I could be wrong, and now you've opened yourself up to a relationship, you've opened yourself up to learning, you opened yourself up to multiple different things that you were never aware were even there.
2: Well, I think that's a really interesting or a really important point, Tom. Um, Cause you know, when I take my viewpoint on the Ukraine-Russia war right now, which is I, I have various opinions about it for sure. Um, there are things I believe that people are missing, but I, I have no opinion about, um, I have no side. I have no side in the conflict. Um, I'm on the American side, which is not either side. Uh, it's Ukrainians versus Russians. And um,
1: maybe and so I don't know. If I
2: find out that, <laughs> and so if I find out that in Kiev the Ukrainians are killing every puppy dog that they can find, that's fine. I don't need to feel anything about that, except for moral outrage. But if I find out that the Russians are killing all the puppy dogs, I can equally feel like I am. Uh, whereas once you take that side, you of course have that knee jerk reaction. If you're like, "Oh, I'm on the Ukrainian side," oh, it turns out the Ukrainians are uh, are beating women and children. No, they're not. You know, you you have you have your mind made up and you reject information that that comes in.
0: It reminds me, yeah, I know. Uh, on the last episode that you were with us, we we talked a lot about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, of which we're, we're all members. Um. But I think it's relevant in in Alma 37, Alma, this is when Alma's talking to his sons and he's talking about, you know, the, the records. And, and he says uh, in Alma 37, 10 through 12, and who knoweth, but what they will be the means of bringing many thousands of them uh, to a knowledge of their redeemer. And this is the, the crux. He says, now these mysteries are not yet fully made known unto me therefore I shall forbear. And it may suffice if I only say they are preserved for a wise purpose, which purpose is known unto God. And I think that's, that's really cool. He's not saying like, I don't have an opinion and he's not just shrugging it off. He's like, I don't know yet, but you know, I think it's good enough to say that God knows. And and I think there's a lot of utility in saying that I don't know yet. Uh, so I'm just going to, I'm going to withhold judgment. And that's one thing, you know, that I appreciate from the Old Testament. God knew what was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah, but he went down to check it out. I mean, even God and his omniscience doesn't jump to conclusions. And I think that's a, a good example for us. So kind of a, uh, yeah, let me ask, uh, what what is your opinion on Sasquatch, if you could share that? I'm living in the Pacific <laughs> Northwest, so I, I got to know.
2: Uh, I'm, um okay, so uh you know the america's only only continent without uh a confirmed great ape, so I don't know seems pretty suspicious that there'd be no great apes it's a it's a mighty big forest um I vacillate between he's real and he's cane and uh and he's probably there is no sasquatch, but I would very much like there to be sasquatch yeah, you uh, i would have, have I, I have war. to say he he would have to be really elusive just like amazingly elusive to uh have avoided cameras uh all, all this time but i i i want sasquatch to be real so bad
0: yeah me too man you know uh, uh there's a guy on twitter a uh, really cool dude braxton mccoy and and he, he's always you know saying how sasquatch isn't real but i i would love there for for him to be there was a video that, that came out of um uh provo canyon in 2012 and it was these teenagers and i don't know what it was if it was a bear but they they were you know just inches away i mean if they had just held out like one more second i think they, they would have had uh verifiable video evidence as it was you know it was, it was kind of indistinct but but it looked pretty crazy I'll, I'll link the video in in the show notes what's another uh opinion that you have that that is you know just kind of fun and and throwaway but but that you is low stakes like you said but the you have a hard stance on
2: so first i i want to say something that there's a that story about those guys in provo canyon reminds me of like i missed the time when the world was so dark that like sasquatch could be hiding in the forest and no one would know it there's this phrase um i can't remember who who said it but they're talking about the medieval era And he said, uh, it was a time when heaven was just overhead and hell was just underfoot. And I love that, that like that kind of view of the world, right. Of like anything could be possible. And we're very disillusioned in the modern era, but sometimes I try and see the world through that, through those eyes of like, you know, we have some woods here by my house. Like maybe there are fairies living in those woods for all I know. Um, Okay. What are other opinions that I have? Uh, okay. So you've mentioned that I don't know what killed Alexander the great, but what I do know is where his body is. Okay. So it was supposedly lost in, uh, in 700, um, AD and, um, gone forever. Right. And so the body of Alexander the great has been lost for 1300 years. Um, but I'm, tell, I'm here to tell you, I have found it. And I'm, I'm here to give you the key of knowledge. Um, I actually didn't, I didn't find it. But, but someone, I think, has made a very compelling case that they know where the body of Alexander the Great is. Um, maybe I should Well, I'll have to look up later. I can send you later his name. I don't remember his name off the top of my head. But here's the story. Alexander the Great, he dies. His body is immediately a very important political tool. Because if you have the body of Alexander the Great, um, then that gives you, that confers some legitimacy on you. So one of his top generals, Ptolemy, takes Alexander's body from his funeral procession and takes it to Egypt with him, where his kingdom was, and builds a great big tomb for him in Alexandria, the city that Alexander had laid out. And so Alexander's body lies in Alexandria for hundreds of years. Then around, uh, I want to say 700 or 800 AD, uh, no, it wouldn't have been that late, um maybe it's more like 500 ad um there's something called the uh, what were they called the theodosian decrees i believe but these decrees were um it it, um forcefully converted the roman empire uh yeah so it could definitely could have been 700 800 uh forcefully converted the roman empire to christianity and so everyone's converting to, to christianity and there is this big um rush to destroy all these idols, all these tombs, anything that reminded people of the pagan past is all being destroyed. And so what everyone thought is that, you know, Alexander's body essentially disappears at this time, and no one knows where it goes. Um, And so, you know, I guess that's that. Um, Alexander's body is gone, is destroyed in these decrees. Well, the next year, they happen to find the body of Saint Mark in Alexandria and um, the body, body of St. Mark has never been, uh, has never, you know has no recorded history before that year uh, in Alexandria. And what's weirder is that the body of St. Mark is heavily perfumed and is mummified. And, uh, and whenever anyone goes even in the in the same room as the body of St. Mark, you can smell the, the spices and the perfumes of the mummification which is a very odd thing for to happen to a, an early Christian who was, who was martyred, right? And I believe Mark was burned to death. So um, kind of odd that he would be mummified. And uh, so, so the theory is that some good person with a love of history sees what's happening and says, okay, we cannot let the tomb and the body of Alexander, this priceless piece of history be destroyed. Hey everyone, this is actually the body of St. Mark. And so uh, the next year, everyone goes. Oh, okay, it's the body of Saint Mark. We'll we'll leave it. Um, and then a couple hundred years later, the the Muslims uh, the, are coming through in the Arab conquest, and they're destroying a bunch of Christian relics. So some Venetians uh, in Egypt take the body of Saint Mark, so that the body of Saint Mark isn't destroyed, and they take it to Saint Mark's Cathedral. build, build a cathedral, Saint Mark's Cathedral in Venice. And so if you go to Venice, this body. Is in St. Mark's Cathedral. You can't see it, but it's in a tomb. And um, and so likely, I, I think better than 50-50 chance. Uh, I, I would say 75-80% chance. If you go to St. Mark's Cathedral in Venice and you look at that tomb, inside there is the body of Alexander the Great.
0: Man, that is so cool.
1: I love it, man. See,
2: that's what so cool it's it. like, it it's a borderline conspiracy theory, but. I've, I I this I have decided I have a strong opinion about it. I I believe that one
1: 100%. Too many conspiracy theories come true. So
2: Yeah, yeah. I'm, exactly. I'm going to
1: side with you. I, I think I'm going to go I'm going to follow Brett's lead and if you say that's what it is, I'm just going to go with it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know and, and that's interesting. Are are there any other examples of you know things that could have been destroyed but you know some quick thinking person was like, "Hey, uh, oh, I'll just give these uh, pieces of art as a gift to the king and then he'll hold on to him or i'll just say that this is some saint or, or are there anything else things like that in history off the top of your head
2: um gosh there definitely are um uh there definitely are i feel like i have one on the tip of my tongue um
1: um but i i think that happened um
2: numerous times um the the only other one that's coming to mind and that's it's not exactly what you're saying but um the the shroud of turin um i don't know if you guys know what that is but it's the shroud that supposedly um covered the, the face of jesus and um it was widely dismissed as a not a hoax, but like a, a later forgery, a few hundred years later. But, but there's been some new interesting evidence that has come out that um, I, I'm not willing to say that I think the Shroud of Turin is legit, but um, it's maybe more realistic than people gave it credit for. Um, if you're if not willing not, to that dismiss it, it immediately. The body of Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, um, that it covered at least the body of some prominent early Christian from the time period around when Christ himself died.
1: That's, it's awesome. I think that goes back to our little discussion of the, I don't know, and just kind of being willing to be open to some ideas and learning some different things. I'm curious, as you've gone through and you've done your research on all these different, um, just historical figures that have had major impacts on the world, uh, good and bad, I um, mean, we look at Napoleon, we look at Caesar, we look at Alexander the Great. Have, have you found yourself pulling one way or another to whether they're good or bad men? Or have you just kind of found yourself in the, hey, here's the contribution that they've they've given and here's the negatives of them?
2: Um, I think definitely some have pulled me towards these are good men, some towards these are bad. The truth of the matter is that... You can't spend that many hours researching someone and kind of seeing the world through their eyes without loving them a little bit and mm-hmm. and cheering for them and rooting for them and that's true in every case um, in every case and uh, you try and still maintain the the mental space to be able to criticize them um but but I definitely feel um, some sympathy and love for for every one of them um, and and some of them were were better than others and all of them you you have to judge kind of on the standards of their own time right Mm -hmm. so caesar is coming uh back to rome you guys have probably heard of the crossing of the rubicon Mm -hmm. right and that's that uh moment when he has to decide am i going to march on rome or uh, am i going to to lay down my command and submit to the senate and he, um, I can't remember the exact wordage he says, but he says essentially like, um, we could have had peace. This all could have been fine, um, but like, you you would not, um, you you would not leave alone intact the 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 dignity the dignitas of Caesar. Um, you offended my dignity, and so of course he crosses the Rubicon. He launches this bloody civil war that kills. Uh, thousands tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of of romans and um just hard to overstate how devastating that civil war was and no one criticized the idea that a man would launch this massive civil war for his for his dignity like that was the standard of the time people argued the merits of it in the roman senate you know, like, oh, Caesar, what are you talking about? This is not a challenge to your dignity. You, you know, they argued the merits of the case, but no one argued that that was a legit that those were legitimate grounds on which to launch this war. And so you can look at Caesar as a monster, but I don't know if that's helpful in evaluating his character at all, because he was abiding by the moral precepts that he considered to be right. And one of those was you can defend your dignity. You can defend your honor as a, as a man, um, by violence if necessary.
0: I like that. And I I agree. It's it's impossible to study these these figures in history without you know coming to love them and and empathizing in, in many cases with them. And you know, like listening to your episodes on Alexander the Great. And there are some episodes I'm like, oh man, Alexander, like, I wish I had been there. You know, I would have been your top guy. I would have told you not to do that. You know, (laughs) it's just like, and and I think there's a lot of utility in that. And and I I wish that you could teach every single uh, high school and college class on history because I think it would change so much because it's so dry. It's so stale in, in so many cases. And I had great, great teachers growing up, but you talked at the, at the beginning that like our lives aren't that exciting. I mean, chances are I'm probably not going to have to javelin an enemy in the heart, anytime soon. I mean, I yeah, don't but know. No. You hope you do. I do hope. <laughs> I do. Yeah. Um, so how can we make our lives more exciting? Obviously by studying these people, but but are there little things, I'm not saying like go out and do super dangerous things all the time. Don't be, don't be foolhardy, but are, are there things that we can do to make our lives really more exciting instead of kind of this fake excitement over uh, a devastating war across the world?
2: So I would say, first of all, uh, be prepared, stay hydrated. I think it's very likely that things will get quite exciting in our lifetime. Um, I don't necessarily want that. Um, exciting is exciting, but, um, like Iwo Jima was exciting. Doesn't mean I wanted to be there, you know, um, yeah, Flanders fields were exciting. I I didn't want to be, I don't want to be there. Um, and, um, our world is about to get a lot more exciting, I think. And um, Ukraine is a lot more exciting than it was six months ago. And uh, I'm glad I'm not there, right? So anyway, um, you know, stay prepared, stay hydrated. Uh, our lives are, are probably going to get exciting. Um, and then the, the second thing though, I would say is, um, oh, what's the saying? A man's reach should exceed his grasp. Like. Um, that's one of the reasons I wanted to start a podcast like How to Take Over the World. There, um, there's this interesting story of uh, this guy in, in San Francisco. Man, I'm just gonna I'm gonna butcher this. I'm sorry for not being prepared for this, but um, San Francisco. This guy in San Francisco in the 1920 1920s, and um, he had this proposal this this totally crazy proposal for like Um, we're going to expand the San Francisco Bay and we're going to dig all these canals. And we're going to like build these lakes here, here and and change the whole landscape of the San Francisco Bay area. And uh, I can't remember what problem he was trying to solve some, some flooding somewhere or something like that. And people took him very seriously and studied his plan. And they were like, oh, this is interesting. And um, they ended up not doing it. Uh, But like, it's hard to overstate how seriously the San Francisco City Council, the mayor, the newspapers, everyone took this guy, who just was a guy with a plan. And um, the, uh, there's so many more people in in the world and in the United States, and uh, it's hard to express that like things are different. It's just more difficult to get things done. I don't know what it is, but it's more difficult for things to get to get things done. But I wish. People need to not let that that get them down. Like I hope that there are people like that behind every corner. That people still have big ideas and big dreams, and um, and we'll try big things. That's why I started a podcast called "How to Take Over the World." Um, I hope that you know the door is probably not open to us to be Caesars. But when you hear the story of Caesar or of Alexander the Great, it does. You say, okay, well. I'm here. I probably can't get to like having a Caesar level impact on the world, but man, hearing that story makes me think maybe I could get at least to here. Maybe I could think like 20% bigger than I'm thinking now. And uh, so having those big ideas and those big dreams and those big visions, you know, I, I just talked in some ways, the world is more constrained to us, but man, a lot of things are changing. I think in some ways the world is more open to us than ever before.
1: Can you give an example for you uh, as you've gone through and studied these, where you said, "Hey, I can be better this twenty percent"?
2: Um. Well, so yes, I'll give you an example of where I, I've thought, okay, I could be, I could be better twenty percent, and um, I'll tell you uh, one way in which I think we can think twenty percent bigger. So, um, I've been. Um, I've been trying to produce How to Take Over the World weekly. The goal this year was to do it weekly. Now my day job got way in the way and you guys follow the podcast enough to know that it's very, monthly is, is more likely. And so um, I was studying Walt Disney and just looking at the like amazing volume with which he was able to, to work and produce. And that got me thinking like, man, I'm struggling so hard to produce weekly but this guy was producing way more elaborate stuff uh weekly essentially weekly he was producing a a cartoon every week at, at disney's height and that was requiring thousands of man hours for each one of those and um and besides that he's doing disneyland and he's doing his tv show and he's doing uh all this different stuff and i thought okay what can i think can i think bigger and i said well what if i can i do daily can i do daily and so um i'm trying to come out now it's 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 shorter form but with a daily podcast it's not these long biographies but that's just like a little snippet different feed different podcast and um and so i think it's actually going to help me to get in that rhythm of, of producing content and help me get those weekly podcasts out but like it helped me to just think bigger of like okay not only can i do weekly maybe I could do daily, you know, and, uh, and, and that has helped me to, to think a little bit bigger. The other thing is, you know, I hear people talking about this all the time of, uh, everyone wants to start a compound. Everyone wants the same thing. Everyone wants to live with their homies and their siblings and their parents in a compound in the woods with like, uh, with 10 houses all surrounding each other and a gym in the middle, where you can just go pump iron with your best, with your best buds every night. Right. And just like sit around the fire, Uh, when you're all home from work and like that's the dream that's the life Mm -hmm. and I'm studying for uh, I'm studying biographies of Brigham Young right now because I'm going to do a series on him and it's like this guy founded dozens of cities from Canada to Mexico you can't figure out a way to actually make this happen to make like 10 houses happen with some of your closest friends like come on, Ben, what's wrong with you? Stop, stop letting your dreams be dreams. Like you can make this happen. This is a millionth of what Brigham Young did. And uh, so that's another way.
0: That's awesome, man. And that, that's such a good reframe too. And and I need to, to repent, you know, cause I certainly don't, don't wish for bad things to, to happen. And I mean, we all have daughters and I don't think there's anything more exciting than than raising a daughter, and yet you know, I, I was talking to my wife because uh, your are series on Julius Caesar and Alexander the Great uh, really impacted me, and and I'm I'm almost to the age that uh, Alexander the Great was when when he took over the world, and and the age that Caesar was when he saw the the statue of Alexander the Great and and wept. And he's like, man, am I ever going to do anything like this? And and I told my wife that, and she's like, you don't need to do something like that. She's like, you need to be a good dad. I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. And and, and not to say that I shouldn't have aspirations, but I think we can imbue excitement uh, into, you know, the routine for lack of a better, better word, you know, like I, I probably won't lead an army across the Rubicon, but I get to coach my daughter's soccer team next month so I can lead, uh you know, a dozen six year olds onto the field of victory, you know, with uh, some, some wins and. And so I, I think that that's a good example. So thank you. Thank you for, for grounding me. I, I do say, well, today, um, so I, I do landscaping for, for a school district and there was a bomb threat at one of the schools. And I was like, obviously that's horrible. And thankfully it was, uh, you know, n- nothing bad happened, but I was like, man, like, I don't want bad things to happen, but if bad things are going to happen, I want to be there because I, I do believe that I I have the ability to do something about it. And I know that that's prideful and, and, and I need to be careful of that. But I I think that being self-aware is important.
2: And I wasn't saying, you know, um, look, you can have excitement on your terms and you can have excitement that's not on your terms. Right. And um, having excitement on your terms is great. You know, the, I think about the great architects who are operating in the, 1920s and 30s in uh in the united states building sears tower empire state building all these guys are building the next biggest skyscraper up and up and up and up right and man what a cool time that must have been to a al- lot to be alive and they had a lot of excitement and that wasn't a bad thing that wasn't hurting anyone um that was that was very cool and and constructive um but my point was like excitement can go both ways and i think we're gonna have some excitement that um that's not of our choosing and that's going to be pretty, pretty difficult. And so, um, the best thing we can do is, is probably gear up for that. Although I would, you know, I, I do still encourage people to have, um, big goals, regardless of, of the tough times that are to come.
1: Yeah. It almost sounds like you're even saying take over your own portion of the world. I mean, I think all of us have something that, uh, that we're, we're designed to do talents that we that we have. My question is, is this is, I'm honest, this is just something I've been working through is I'm trying to figure out for me personally, what is that? What is that for me? You know, what is it that I'm supposed to, I guess, my portion of the world that I'm supposed to be taken over? I mean, how do you figure that out?
2: Um, I would say this. Um, uh, you should feel a click like when you you know when you're putting together your uh your your child's whatever rocking horse and you're like man why won't this go together and you're like do i just need to push harder and then you put it in the right way and it clicks and you feel the click and um i think when people get in trouble with it it's cuz they are trying to force something to which they're not suited right And that, that happens to me sometimes, frankly, like I am, um, when I feel it click is when I am being creative and I'm putting out a vision and I'm getting people to buy into that vision. Um, and, uh, and I'm a a leader in in rhetorical terms, but sometimes I study these guys like Alexander the great and, and Caesar. And I'm like, oh man, I'm going to be the general. I'm going to be the one commanding everyone, telling them how it's supposed to go. And that's just like, I don't feel the click when I try and do that. Right. But sometimes I just get so hyped on their stories that I'm like, Oh, let's go. And uh, it almost always uh, goes poorly when I, when I try and take on that role. So um, what does it mean for you? So a find those domains in which it clicks for you, that you feel that, that natural groove and then grow it from there. Um, And, um, and I don't know, I, I don't have the answer necessarily for kind of, how big any person should go, but I would just say like take a little bit of a leap. And it uh, here's the other analogy I'll give. When I was in high school, I got to be a, a junior and um, I, I hope I didn't tell the story last time, but um, I, I was a junior in high school and I, I realized that I had never tried to kiss a girl and been rejected. And uh, I was like, man, how high could I go? What are what are, what are the what are the possibilities here? <laughs> um and I, I just like something in the back of my head was like, if you've never been rejected, you don't know like what could happen. And so uh I was like, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask out girls until uh like hotter and hotter girls. Sorry, that's the way I thought of it. I was a high school at the time, cut me some slack that's until <laughs> uh, until someone tells me no. And um and, uh, I didn't end up marrying Jessica, Galba, uh, who I would have thought was the most beautiful woman in the world at the time. Um, now I think it's my wife, but uh, so eventually I did get told no, but I think sometimes, um, people try and put checks on their own dreams rather than letting the world do it for them. If that makes sense. Like at some point you're going to reach your limit. Don't put limits on yourself. Just let yourself fail go until you fail. And then that that's the limits of what you can
1: do. And I love that. Yeah. Thanks.
0: Yeah, that that's really cool. You know, I was listening to uh, the the beginning of your Edison series again, and you talked about his Icarus moment when, when he was young and his chemistry set caught fire on, on the train. So, I mean, obviously you didn't let a rejection stop you from eventually marrying your wife. So how how can we mitigate those Icarus moments or, or, or not let those be, be the end of
2: us? Um, one of the things that I have found, um, is setting failure goals. You want to be really careful with these, but if you're struggling with that feeling of, of rejection and letting it get you down, it can be super helpful to reframe your mind. So what a failure goal is Uh, I actually discovered this on my mission. So um, uh, when I was a missionary for the church, of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, it was really difficult to just go contact people on the street. It was very uncomfortable, as you might imagine, to just stop someone on the street and and start talking to them about your church. And and so it was like mentally taxing. Um, And so my trainer, what he told me is, we used to have a goal of let's um, contact 20 people on the street and he said let's get rejected 20 times and so all of a sudden every single time he rewired my brain every single time someone was like i don't want to talk to you i was like yes one down you know and um and so it just helped me like get over the like okay well if i fail it's still a win you know and like obviously if they want to talk to me even better and uh, so it was kind of a no lose situation and you obviously you you do need to be careful because you don't want to uh, get in into uh, a, a habit of of being okay with failure. Um, but as a temporary measure, it can really be good to help you work through that if if you're really letting failures get you down.
1: Well, on top of that, if you don't push yourself to failure, you don't know what your limits are. I mean, it it's it reminds me. I went. Uh, I took. We took some scouts to go do some mountain biking some downhill mountain biking and we had a guide they 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 padded us up gave us everything and they said okay so here's the deal it'll protect you we promise it'll protect you so my first thought was okay let's see how far i could go and <laughs> you know and, and it protected me i came away with some raspberries but i you know i came through uh through you know off the off the trails plenty i went through a through a little a little river bank that you know flipped me over a number of times But at the end of the day, I I knew my limitations and I was able to push through them. And it actually, by the end of the day, I'd gotten better and not been able, had I not done that, I wouldn't have known what those were.
2: Yeah. That's the same thing I remember from skiing. Someone saying the fun starts after your first fall of the day, because after your first fall, then you're like, oh, okay, I'm fine. And you can actually like start opening up and doing stuff. And I think that's true.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and I mean, even look at weightlifting. I mean, you, you go until in, in some sets until failure, like that, that's what it's called. Um, and I think that there is some utility in that. You know, my, my first boxing match and, and later my first MMA match, uh, I lost both of those. And uh, it, it really took the pressure off. And obviously, there are plenty of people who have gone undefeated, and that's great. But, you know, you, you look at some of these good fighters. And how they respond after a loss is very indicative uh, of their future success and, and longevity. So I think that's a good example. Well, I really want that next Disney episode, so we'll definitely <laughs> wrap up here soon. But I, I did, I did want to ask you, I can you touch on you know offline we were talking about, you know Disney nowadays as, as opposed to to Walt Disney himself and and just you know the what's going wrong with the kind of media that's being produced uh, on a large scale and you talked about the Coliseum and the kinds of people who were not allowed in, in the Coliseum and, and I thought that was a really interesting idea can you just touch on that a little bit
2: yeah yeah um... Well, the Colosseum one, I'll let people research that because it it might be a little offensive if I say it on air, but you can just (laughs) try try, uh, doing a little research on on who was not allowed in in the Roman Colosseum. Almost everyone was except for a few classes of people. Um, But in, in terms of Disney, look, I'll say this. I think one of the reasons that any piece of media property is successful, almost every great piece of media encapsulates a nation. So like you think about early Disney and it was America. Like it was America and that's how a lot of people viewed it. And it encapsulated, it it really captured the best of America. and it, It packaged up America and it shipped it to the world. You look at something like Harry Potter and I think one of the reasons that it succeeds is it captures England, it like captures that magic of what it, it means to be English and the English countryside and the boarding school and, uh, and the trains, it just like feels so cool in English. Um, uh, similarly with like King Arthur's Tales, right? It just kind of like wraps up um, early medieval England. Uh, anime is so successful because it like brings this beautiful Japanese culture to people and people love that. And so I think where you see Disney starting to falter these days, it's because we have a sick culture. Like we know American culture is no longer as attractive to the world as it once was. And so you could try and pin that on the Disney corporation for no longer making as beautiful and wonderful and imaginative of stories as they once did. But I think it's, I wouldn't put that at their feet. I think it's downstream from, uh, from America, frankly, Disney's always going to be America for better or for worse.
0: That's profound. And, you know, one of the other things I thought about is, you know, I, I certainly prefer uh, books, you know, fi- fiction to, to film. And in the Lord of the Rings, uh, there are a couple good quotes and, and Elder Neil A. Maxwell from, from the church, you know, he, he, quoted Tolkien very often. And when you said that you wish none of this was happening with Russia and Ukraine, and and I know Tom and I agree, we hate to see any loss of life or or any destruction like this. And when Frodo in The Lord of the Rings, he's telling Gandalf, I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this had happened. And Gandalf replies, so do all who live to see such times." but that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. And I think that's kind of one of the takeaways from how to take over the world is that's what we have to decide. I mean, we can't choose to live uh, at the time of Alexander the Great or Catherine the Great, uh, or we can't you know, be in Edison's workshop. We can't be in Walt Disney's studio but we can decide what we're going to do with, with the time that's given to us now. And thank you. Thank you for what you've done. I mean, how to take over the world
1: has been the single most impactful podcast I've ever listened to. Yeah, it's, it's been pretty awesome. I, 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 have one final question for you before I let you go. So, uh, and I want to believe the story's true about Alexander the great on his deathbed when they asked him who was, who was to take over. And he says the strongest, and uh I, I, I take that same comparison when Christ says that the meek shall inherit the earth, because really meekness is strength under control. So with those two comparisons, how do we how do we be strong in our day?
2: Uh that's a very good question and um really kind of gets at the at the heart of the matter. Um, there's um Here's what I think. There's a good book by Rodrier called Live Not by Lies. And um, it talks about uh, living, living under uh, communist occupation, uh, mostly in Eastern Europe throughout the 20th century, and comparing it to our day and what that tells us about how to live in our day. Um, for those of us who, who think we see creeping totalitarianism in the world. And, um, you know, it's called live not by lies. Cause one of his main takeaways is, um, you can't let it corrupt your soul. And the way you do that is you go along with power. Like I said, you have to let go of the notion that you, uh, that you have any voice, that you have any say that your opinion means anything. So you can go along, but the line you should never cross is never lie. Don't go along with their lies. Um, Hold on to the truth. And they can make you do things and you have to put up with it and they can take your money from you and they can take various things from you and you have to put up with it. Um, But don't lie. Like they can never take that from you. And um, so I think that that is one of the most important things. They say that the first casualty in war is truth. Um, and you certainly see that all the time. And I think truth has been an enormous casualty, even in peacetime in the age in which we live, like so many people lie and it's tempting to go along with those lies in certain situations in order to smooth over some feathers or in order to get a job or in order to, um, you know, just go along to get along. But that's something I always try and remember is I think the most important thing that all of us can do is just tell the truth.
0: It's awesome, man. Thank you. That is so cool. You know, we, last week or a week before, whenever in for come follow me, we were studying about Joseph in Egypt and when Potiphar's wife is, you know, trying to commit adultery with him. And, and she says, lie with me, obviously lying down in, in the physical sense, but I, I think you can, there's a kind of a double entendre there. And it's like, lie with me. Cause obviously she wouldn't be telling the truth to her husband. So, we have to be careful. Like, I think when people are inviting us to, to lie, uh, I mean, that, that's, that's a, a grievous sin. Um, so thank you. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And, um, you know, you also need to know when to keep your mouth shut. Like I'm not saying go out there and, uh, and fed posts, you know, all over the place <laughs> and, and get yourself fired. So, you know, obviously try to not put yourself in those situations. Um, so there's definitely time to, to be quiet, but just, uh, that's, that's the line to me. Sometimes you can be quiet, but, but never lie. Awesome.
0: Never lie. That's, that's a great note to end on. Well, Ben, thank you so much for, for coming back and, and thank you for what you're doing. Uh, wh- where can people connect with you? Obviously how to take over the world podcast. We'll link that. Uh, and, and yeah. you've been very uh, generous to, to your fans and, and letting them email you. Is that still an option for people to reach out via email?
2: Yep, they can reach out via email if they want to get in touch with me. Uh, that's Ben. Well, the, it's such a, Actually, just tweet me uh, yeah. at Ben Wilson Tweets. Um, it's easier to remember. Awesome.
0: Well, we'll link that in the description. Well, thank you again, Ben. We're looking forward to, to much more from How to Take Over the World. And uh, God bless you, man.
2: Thanks, Ben. Thanks Brett. Yeah, thanks very much for having me on.
0: Thank you. And to all you listeners, thanks for tuning in. And until next time, this has been Tom and Brett and Ben out.